Tonight, the title of my sermon is Kids Matter. Now, you might ask the question, why do I think kids matter? And that one's pretty simple for me as a kids pastor. I believe that kids matter because they matter to God. And they matter to God because God made them in his image. He made them to be full of a limitless amount of potential. And because they matter to God, I believe that they matter to me. In fact, if you'll let me be so bold, I would even go as far to say that kids matter so much that what the church does for kids is more important than anything else that the church does. Now, that's kind of a bold statement. And you might be thinking to yourself, oh, go figure, the kids pastor thinks the kids are the most important. This is going to be a great sermon, Pastor One Point. Let me explain for a moment. If you had that thought, which I'm sure none of you did because you're all God-fearing, God-loving people. Uh, if you had that thought just briefly, briefly cross through your mind, then you sound a, a lot like my mom. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a moment on a Saturday morning where my youngest, Raylan, she's just turned a year old. My girls wanted pancakes for breakfast, and so I made pancakes for them. And there was that wonderful medley that if you've ever been around a one-year-old, you know that a lot of times they don't necessarily eat the food. The food eats them, if you know what I'm talking about. And there's this beautiful mess. It's a mix of, of pancake, maple syrup, and mocos all over the face. And it's something that when you see it and they grin, they're like, mmm, you're just like, ooh, where is the phone? i got to take a picture of this. And so acting quickly, I pull out my phone real quick. I hit it on FaceTime. Magically, my mother answered. And so my mom just so happened to be in the car with my brother and sister-in-law. And so my mom answers the phone. She's like, oh, hello, Will. We're so glad you called. I'm like, hey, Mom. Hey, Mom, you got to see this. You got to see this. You got to see this. And I show her Raylan. Raylan's like, Ew. She's got, like, pieces of stuff coming out of her mouth. She's, like, holding a piece. I don't know. Actually, I don't think we gave her that food. I don't know what was in her hand. Um, but that's a one-year-old. And my mom's just, like, going full grandma. She's sitting there. She's like, oh, my goodness, that's the cutest thing I've ever seen. Well, put the phone closer. I want to see you more. Put it closer. Hi, baby. How are you? Grandparents are crazy. And you know because they raised you. So my mom's going nuts. She's just loving this moment. And then she's like, oh, well, i got to surprise your brother and sister-in-law in the car. I'm like, well, great. I didn't call to talk to them. I was trying to earn brownie points here. Favorite son, remember this. She says, oh, look at your new niece. Isn't she adorable? I'm like, yeah, I guess. So for like a newborn, she's pretty cute or whatever. It's not like it's a competition or whatever. And so my mom's like, oh, and by the way, guess what, Will? Well, yeah, what's up, the mom? She's like, we were just talking about you. I'm like, What? What are you talking about? My life's boring. What are you talking about? Are you talking about my kids? She's like, oh, no, we were talking about that post you made on the Facebooks. Now, I have, within the last month, I have posted something similar to this phrase that I thought whatever the church does for kids is more important than anything else the church does. And I had posted that to my Facebook, and apparently my parents saw it and decided to have a theological discussion in the car with my brother and my sister-in-law. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, you're a kid's pastor and dad's a pastor. I'm sure you guys love this. Stuff. What do you guys think of the post? I'm like, oh, we think you're wrong. So I did what any mature 34-year-old would do. I screamed, no, you're wrong. And I hung up the phone and put my phone down on the ground. No, I, uh, 
If you had that thought that you thought that maybe that was a little bold of a statement, I'll tell you the same thing I told my mom because that's how brave I am. I told my own mom this. And I'm way more afraid of her than I am of you guys. I'm just being honest here. It's that it's okay to be wrong sometimes. And she didn't take that very well. And I hung up and we haven't talked since. <laughs> now, but what I told her, I was like, Mom, I, I respectfully... You can be wrong about this. I'm not saying that it's the only thing the church should do. I'm not saying that it's more important than worship or more important than reading your Bible or more important than growing or more important than being in community. I'm just saying how you do those things with kids is more important than anything else our church does. And she's like, well, where did you get that idea? And I was like, I don't know. Jesus? And I dropped the Jesus card on my mom. That's how we roll in the Randall house. In Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5, it says, it's actually... This is a fantastic verse. It's one of my favorite verses because few verses in the Bible show the humanity that Jesus not only had to live uh, around, but he had to live with. And a little bit of um, childness, childness, child, 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 we'll just go with one of those words. He had to deal with a bunch of man children, basically. And so what's happening in this verse is that the disciples are there with Jesus and the, the Pharisees are there and all the disciples are with each other and they're arguing over who is the greatest in the kingdom. I mean, they're literally shoulder to shoulder with Jesus and they're like, okay, so uh, who is it? Who's the best? And I'm sure Simon Peter's over there and he's like, are you kidding? Look at these things. How am I not the best? And you got John over there and he's like, Kid, kidding me? Look at these shoulders, man. I would do anything. I'm sure Peter wants up and is like, listen, I'm so dedicated to Jesus, man. I'd, I'd pull out a knife and I'd cut somebody. And they're like, hey, calm down, Peter. We don't see that ever needing to happen. And I imagine John was sitting there like, well, you know what? I am the beloved, so get out of my way. But they go to Jesus and they ask him, well, he's in the middle of something else. They ask him, hey, who do you think is the best? And this is what he says. In Matthew 18, he says, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes and he says this, and this is like the jab, I feel. He says, and anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. Now, what Jesus is saying in the first part of this verse is that if you want to form, experience any type of greatness in the kingdom of God, that what you have to do is you have to turn from your sin and you have to receive Christ in a way that is simply humble and wholehearted, like a child. But then he says, and anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Let me, I, let me just give you a Pastor Will paraphrase for a moment. These are very special. They're in second opinions if you're looking in your Bibles. I believe Jesus was saying something like this. He said, in other words, I want you to treat kids like you would treat me. Oh, and by the way, in case you forgot, I'm God. And if that means... If you welcome a kid, you're welcoming me, and I'm God. That's kind of a big deal. See, as a kid's pastor, I feel like Jesus was trying to tell us that it, the, the, the people that should feel the most welcome in our church are a screaming baby or a bratty kid. 
that the person that should feel the most comfortable sitting in our services is a hormonal middle schooler or a high schooler asking for the Wi-Fi password. See, Jesus understood something that disciples had missed. He knew that even though it seems insignificant, that what you do for kids early on will have an impression. And early impressions matter more than we think. In fact, researchers, researchers today show that a child's brain is actually built through actual experiences. What they go through is what builds the neural pathways in a kid's mind. The studies also show that the average child will decide the foundation of their moral compass by the age of nine. What we do with kids is like an investment. What we put into kids is what we will get out of kids. And for some reason, God in his infinite wisdom chose a clever way to teach us certain lessons. He chose to use time. In fact, I believe things that are communicated over time is, I believe that love is best communicated over time. You can get married in a moment, but you can't be like, all right, I love you. Same time next year? Yeah? No? Okay. Or when you have a kid, you can't be like, oh, look at this beautiful child. I love you. All right, now make sure you make it to a good school. That's not how love works. Love is built through constant investment over time. I believe that generosity is best experienced over time. I worked for a pastor named Pastor Jim. Uh, not this Pastor Jim. It was another Pastor Jim. Don't get them confused. They're both cool, but this one's a little cooler. It's whatever. Uh, he doesn't wear skinny jeans, so he's cooler. Uh, so I worked for uh, Pastor Jim Hennessy in, up in Dallas, Texas, and he had to say every membership. And because of the position I was in at that church, I had to work every membership. So I like had his, his spiel memorized. And every single membership meeting, when he's inviting new people into the church, he would issue this, this challenge. He would say, I challenge you to tithe and to give generously. And what he said is, if you do this for six months and you come back to me and you are worse off financially... I will refund your entire amount that you've given for the last six months. And every time he did it, I was like, ooh, that's going to get him one day because somebody's going to have some sin in their life. I think relationships are best built over time. You can become a friend of God in a moment, but it'll take you a lifetime to figure out what the cross really meant. I'll put it into this. You can become married the moment you say, I do. But you will spend your life trying to figure out your wife. Love you, babe. <laughs> uh, God's grace, I believe, is best shown in our lives over time. Consistent, continual investments are help us out over time. What you do with kids now has a greater impact over what you do for them as an adult. Our reality right now is that eight years ago, 30% of people 18 to 30 said that they doubted the existence of God. Fast forward eight years to now, now 49% of young people 18 to 30 say they doubt the existence of God. In fact, if you're talking about that 100%, 65% of them say they're not religious, Small, consistent investments will have an incredibly huge impact later. The impression we leave now will affect the decisions that they make later. It's hard to argue the existence of God to a person 
that has seen his miracles at work. It's hard to argue that God isn't real when you've seen his grace at work in your life. That's why I think kids matter. And if I'm thinking about what I want to impress on my kids, what is it that I want them to know when they go to church, you're going to have to hold on with me for a second. I don't think it's knowledge. I don't think I want my kids to come to church just to learn the Bible. Because the reality is, learning the Bible is important. You should be learning the Bible, but that's not the only thing. The, the reality check here is, when you to get into heaven, it's not like it's a multi-choice quiz. It's not like a game show or a class or a star test where you die, you go up to heaven, and they're like, okay, everybody, question number one. Who was the oldest man in the Bible? Oh, you don't know? You go to hell. That's not how it works. It's applying the principles of the word of God in your everyday life is what matters. And if I was thinking about as a pastor, as a father, what I want to impress on my children and on the children that are in my community, I think it would have to be a couple of different things. But I think that there's, there's something that exists between the word of God and real life, what we call real life. And I believe that there's a tension there. And being a father of three girls, four and under, I understand tension on an hour-to-hour basis some days. Now, when I think of tension, I think of something that as a father, I am very, very familiar with. And if you have little girls, you'd be very familiar with these. It's this magical little thing that keeps my child looking like a princess and not like a feral street child. <laughs> It's a, uh, a hair tie, or as we more commonly call them, we call them a jongo. That is correct. You call this anything else at HEB, you will be corrected. If you're like, where are your hair ties? Uh, the chongos. That's just the reality. So the dad in me knows that I am not skilled at using these in the slightest. Half of the time, my kids look like they should be in the insane asylum if I've done their hair. It's so bad, I wait till I get to church and I ask one of the volunteers, can you help me? They're like, it's okay, pastor, you don't know any better. But the nerd in me, which my wife likes to remind me of quite often, knows that the reason why a chongo works is because when you stretch it out, there's stored energy. See, this is made of elastic, and when you stretch it out, there's stored energy in between each stretching point. And it's that tension that it creates that keeps it in their hair. In fact, if you know, if you're really going to put a chongo on good, you got to twist that dude like 25 times. Like if you were to put twist it that many times on a finger, you wouldn't have that finger anymore. But somehow, you can keep your hair in place. That's just how a chongo works. But it's the tension that holds it in place. And if I had to think about the things that I wanted to impress on our kids, and I had to think about the tensions that I wanted them to embrace, I think the place that I would start is I would want them to understand the Bible, and I would want them to understand truth. But I would want them to understand that not all truth is in the Bible. Hold on with me for a second. Kids are going to face things that aren't in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell you how to do your taxes. The Bible doesn't tell you how many miles it is to Mars. The Bible doesn't tell you about equilibrium. It doesn't tell you about gravity. 
And how we handle these, we, we, we are to always teach the Bible as truth. In fact, the Bible has the final authority when it comes to theology and life issues. But the reality is that the Bible wasn't written to tell you how the heavens go. It was to- given to you to tell you how to get to heaven. We're not called to teach kids the Bible. We're called to lead them into a relationship with God. We want kids to know that God is bigger than their Bible. Let me put it to you this way. The Pharisees in the New Testament, no one knew more about the scriptures than them, yet they stood shoulder to shoulder with Jesus and missed him. I think they need to learn about that tension. The next one I think they need to learn is trust versus doubt. I believe that trust leads to stronger faith, but doubt also leads to stronger faith. You see, your, your first grader, your cute little two-year-old, your obnoxious little fifth grader, I mean, your loving, wonderful little fifth grader that's done with me and ready to go to student ministry and is not wearing deodorant yet. <sighs> They're going to be in middle school one day. They're going to grow up. And what happens when kids grow up is this magical thing. It happened to you. It happened to me. It's going to happen to them. Is that somewhere in this process of growing up, you figured out that your mom and dad didn't know everything. And when you figured out they didn't know everything, you started asking questions. And when our kids ask questions, how we handle those questions, how we handle that doubt will determine if they're willing. If we keep attention that we understand, yes, there is trust, but yes, there is doubt. If we help them navigate that, if we create a safe space, if we provide an environment that's safe, and we allow kids to process their own doubt, then what we're actually allowing them to do is we're allowing them to own their own faith. If a kid figures it out on their own, You just guided them to the spot and you said, it's okay to doubt. It'll help them get to where they need to go. This is a shameless plug, shameless plug for kids camp. We create environments and experiences every single weekend where we create safe environments with consistent leaders and safe places. Because we believe every kid needs two things, that they need a person and a place. But then we create environments and experiences once a year where kids can disconnect from mom and dad. They can disconnect from their common world and they can begin to experience the real presence of God and they can begin to process their doubts on their own. And what we see every single year when we come back from camp is kids radically changed by the power of God. We see kids filled with the Holy Spirit. We see kids called into ministry. It's a shameless plug. Put your kids in the pathway. It's shown over and over and over and over again throughout the Bible. When you put yourself in the pathway of the presence of God, he will show up. Moses on the mountaintop. Samuel in the temple. Jesus on the mountain of transformation. Camp is a moment that we disconnect our kids and we say, it's okay to have doubts. We don't want you to go to YouTube to answer your faith questions. I want spirit-filled young adults, and I want elderly people, and I want parents, and I want peers to help guide you in that discussion. Another one I believe in is I believe that we should teach kids that God has an ideal, but he uses broken people. Because some of our kids are going to try to live up to an ideal, and they're going to get broke on something. 
And they're going to need somebody in their life to say, hey, no, it's okay. Come here. Come back to church. Hey, let's go through the Bible. Let's look at all the people that messed up in the Bible. Yeah. But let's look at what God did with them. I think it's important that when they feel like they messed up and they want to quit, that they know that God hasn't given up on them. I think we need people, we need that God, (laughs) I love this, God loves to take us in our brokenness and use us as platforms to show the world and the generation who he is. And I feel like if a kid feels like they can't live up or measure up to a false expectation, I think they'll ultimately give up. Another thing I would impress on my kids is that genero- there's generosity. That's very important, but sacrifice is tough. Generosity increases our dependence on God. But right now, we face something that a lot of us don't even realize we're facing. If you read the book, Small Matters, it paints this picture that as a parent is quite terrifying to me. Because it talks about how every kid is in danger and that our kids that live in prosperity are actually in danger from suffering what we jokingly call first world problems. Oh no, my latte is called first world problems. See, the reality is it's easy to see when a kid is in need when they have no food. In Haiti, you'll have kids that have no food. In third world countries, you'll have kids that have no food. And they say, I'm hungry. In prosperity, you'll have kids that say, I'm starving. There's nothing to eat with a refrigerator full of food. In a a starving country, you'll have a kid that says, I'm bored because they can't afford or they can't get to a school. And they're stuck playing outside with their siblings all day. You'll have a kid in prosperity that says, I'm bored with multiple gaming systems sitting under their television. Prosperity causes us to lose God's perspective on the world. And I believe the tension that lies between, between generosity and sacrifice is important. Every day, children are living in prosperity and are at risk of losing God's perspective on the world. Yet we go through the motions, keep busy, and never question our routines of prosperity. The last one is that God is good and you should do good. I think at the end of the day, if we're saying we're, we're Christ followers, if we're saying that we're friends of Jesus, we don't have an excuse to not do good. I believe that as a church, we should be saying that we are here for you as a generation. But the reality is if we're saying to this generation that here's the good news, here's the gospel, here's the making new, here's the making great that we want for you. If we're saying to them, but we're not leading them into the streets and the trenches to do something about a broke and hurting world, then we're demonstrating to them that this isn't real. Let me put it to you this way. It's a big pet peeve of mine. And I know none of you would do it. But I've seen parents that are like, well, my kid needs to sit with me. They need to see me worship. And I'm for that. I think that is phenomenal. I think kids and parents should worship together. But if you bring a kid in here and pull them from their experience so they can see you worship, and then you almost lose your salvation when someone cuts you off at H-E-B, you didn't show them that you're good. You didn't show them that you're a worshiper. You show them you're a hypocrite. I think there's a tension that exists there. It's about connecting the word of God into real life. God is good, and because he is good, I can do good.
as I wrap up, we have this idea here in Westover Kids. We tell all of our volunteers and any parent that will listen. We have this, this crazy idea that we believe that two combined influences are better than just two influences. We believe that if you combine the, the love from the home and the hope and light from the church and you combine those two together, you can exponentially move forward the eternity of an individual. It's this radical idea that we feel comes from this idea that we're just, we're better together. We're better together. It's a radical idea, but we believe it's as simple as just making a decision. And if you're making a decision, maybe it's you just simply decide to do for a kid what someone did for you. I can look back through my life, and I can, there's countless adults that spoke into my life that are the reason why I'm Pastor Will today. I'm sure it's the same for you. You know, sometimes that's all a kid or a student. By the way, when I'm talking about a kid, I'm talking about anyone 18 years and younger. Someone who's not an adult. Not the, the crazy uncle who still sleeps on the couch. We're talking about adolescents. Kids who haven't made it there yet. You know, sometimes what a hormonal middle schooler needs, sometimes what a frustrated high schooler need is they need someone who's encountered something before them to be for them. Maybe that decision will be that you decide to do something for someone that no one ever did for you. I felt a prompting in my spirit before I walked up that Maybe there's one or two of you in the room that no one ever told you as a kid that you mattered. I think you matter. God thinks you matter. When God made Adam and Eve, he told them to be fruitful and multiply. And if you, you could argue that's the only commandment we've actually kept pretty well of his. But when he looked at man and woman, we looked at his creation, he said, it's good. He hasn't changed his opinion about you. He hasn't changed his opinion of our kids. So my humble advice on how to do this as not just a ministry for children, but as a church, is that it takes the decision of an individual to say to a generation, hey, we want you here. God's got great things for you. It's a life-changing, risk-taking adventure, and it's going to last a lifetime, and we want you here because it matters. One of the hardest things for me to say, it's about embracing hurt, broken, and sometimes smelly kids and saying, we're not okay with you going to hell. It's a decision to put kids in the pathway of the presence of God. It's a decision to send a kid to camp. If you don't have a kid to send to camp, send someone else's kid to camp. I've been doing it for years. My kids can't go to camp yet, yet I pay for another kid to go to camp because I believe in putting them in the pathway of God. And if it's ever a financial issue, if it's ever a problem of you're unsure, come and talk with us. As we believe in it so strongly, we'll help you find a way. I think another, uh, another decision is to bring kids to church. 
You know, if you're a parent and you're bringing your kids to church, that's great. Bring more kids. Bring your neighbors. Bring your cousins. Bring your nieces. Bring your nephews. Bring kids from school. A bigger heaven is a better heaven. The reality is that we all know kids in our lives. And, and what I personally believe is that God loves it, but he's not wowed when we go to another country and do missions. But boy, is he always thrilled when we walk across the hallway or when we walk across the street to welcome one in his name. If you don't have kids, if you're a young adult or a teenager and you don't have kids, go find some kids. Don't go like rent a van and go up to a park and be like, hey kids, you want to go to church? Because I'm going to lose my job and that's going to be bad. But the reality is we all know kids in our lives that need Jesus. It's a decision to show up. You know, I think of a story. There's a young man in my ministry. He's a teenager now. And when he was a little kid, he was in a, a single parent situation. And every week he was a shy little boy. And one volunteer, and maybe this will be you tonight. Maybe you're volunteering somewhere and you're going to do this too. He said, you know what? This kid's shy. Every week I'm going to make it my point to say to him, I love you. I'm glad you're here. God has great things for you. You're royalty in God's kingdom. You're a king. You're a prince. Every week, he'd pick up the kid's hand and high-five him for him. Fast forward five years later, that young boy is high-fiving kids at the front door. And he's not shy. He's not weak. But he's high-fiving the kid. He's looking for the kids sitting by themselves saying, hey, guess what? God's got something great for you. And now he's a small group leader. Ooh, I ugly cry. It's a decision to show up, to volunteer. And if you're already volunteering, maybe consider volunteering more. And if you're volunteering a lot, invite somebody to volunteer with you. Like I said before, God's thrilled when we walk across the hall and welcome a kid like we'd welcome him. And I believe that because I believe kids matter. They matter to me. They matter to God. And I believe they matter to this church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. And God, I ask that you would impress it on our hearts. God, let us not be okay with the statistics. Let us not be okay with our neighbor's children passing away and going to hell. God, I ask that you would use everyone within the sound of my voice to be an ambassador for your kingdom. God, help them to reach hearts, to change eternities, to impact the directions of entire families. God, we know that you gave us the model. You gave us the example. And God, we want to take a page out of your book. We want to welcome you by welcoming kids. Jesus, we love you and thank you. And everyone that says believes that says amen and amen. Thank you for coming this evening. Be blessed as you travel.